Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. What should I look for in trying to find a local church home? Every week, visitors come and go, and local churches trying to discover if this is the right church for them. Um, but do they know what they're supposed to be looking for? I think that so many evangelicals today are looking for things in the local church that actually don't bear much weight in Scripture. Do they have a youth group, or what kind of music do they play? Uh, Those may be questions to consider, but we can't start there. That's allowing the world to shape the way that we think about the church. Now, we have been talking about the essential marks of a healthy church these past two weeks, and if you've missed any of those broadcasts, you, you can subscribe to our podcast. Just make sure you type in The Gospel for Life. So we've looked at... You know, the pure preaching of the word, which is the first mark of a healthy church. We've looked at um, the use of the sacraments and church discipline and church membership. And today we're finishing up this series by talking about the gospel. Namely, the gospel that we preach will determine the health or unhealth of any local church. So yesterday we talked about how getting the gospel wrong can lead to legalism. And we use the book of Galatians as that model and today we're, we're kind of looking at how getting the gospel wrong can lead to antinomianism. So let's start there. Brothers, what does antinomianism even mean? Well, uh, nomos uh, it means law. Uh, to, to antinomianism means, means anti-law or, or uh, the rejection of any, you know, and, and as Christians, we're not under the burden of the law. We've been set free from that in Christ, but the law still is like uh, the, the guardrails. God's law is still, God's now is now to us a, a, a gift that, as the psalmist said, is sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. Uh, now in Christ, we can celebrate the law as a gift, but antinomianism says, no, we throw out the law. Uh, we live any way we want. We're under grace. Uh, antinomianism abuses the grace of God by saying, well, there's, a, there's an old line that it's intended to be funny, but it really isn't, uh, about the guy that says, God and I have a wonderful relationship. I like to sin. God likes to forgive. And that's not really funny. Uh, it's antinomianism. And antinomianism is actually a rejection of the gospel, a rejection of God, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a rejection of, of God's good intention for life that's expressed in the law of God. The grace of God doesn't leave us unchanged. Yes. And antinomianism in essence makes the case that the grace of God doesn't matter. And they don't mean to say it that way, but the idea is that because of the grace of God, I am being changed. I am being transformed. I am being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And what did that mean? What does that mean? It means that it's a life of obedience to the law, not because I'm earning anything, but because I'm reflecting 
Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and perfectly obeyed the law. I've come to do the will of the Father. I've come to fulfill all that was written in the law. Um, and so as we're in Christ, we become like him. And so we also obey the law because of the grace that we've experienced. But we don't do it because somehow that earns Christ's love. We do it because of Christ's love in our heart and life. Um, it makes us love what God loves. And what yes. does he love? He, he loves his law. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a reflection of his character. This is where, again, we would commend the book The Whole Christ to You by Sinclair Ferguson. He brilliantly shows how legalism and antinomianism are not opposites. Yes. They are actually non-identical toxic twins from the same womb because they both look at God's law and they both hate it. Uh, the legalist, you know, the legalist looks at God's law and he says, oh, God is this restrictive, harsh, unloving God. So in order for me to earn his love, I have to obey these things. Right. The antinomian looks at God's law and says, God is this restrict, restrictive, harsh God. So I'm not going to do those laws. Um, but they both end up in the same place. They, they, their, their vision of God is exactly the same. Yes. Unfortunately. I, and it's interesting. If you're struggling with this term antinomianism, imagine the scenario, you know, you, you're at a wedding and the pastor starts asking the, the man to repeat the vows. And he says, will you have her and hold her in sickness and in health and riches and in poverty? Do you promise to love her your whole life? And the antinomian would get up at that point and say, you're a legalist. <laughs> He would yes. accuse the, those these vows of legalism, but actually they're an expression of love. Yes. Yep. Amen. And I think it's important within the church because these terms are just thrown around so loosely um, within the, the congregation. Um, people that, that strive for a life of obedience, the antinomians within the mix are going to keep shouting, well, you're just a legalist. You're just... You know, don't try to impose rules on me. I want to live how I want to, and I want to do what I want to, and you can't tell me what I can or can't do. Um, and and so this it creates this spirit of unrest and unhealthy dialogue. It's kind of like the political spectrum we live in today. We just banter words around and throw insults back and forth that in the end become meaningless. And and that happens so frequently when the within the church throwing around the term legalist. Um, when almost always what my own experience has been that most of the time the word legalist is thrown at somebody within the church is actually most of the time not used correctly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, they're using it in a way that is disparaging to the person that they're talking about, which undermines the very concept of community within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and the correction for both the, the correction that brings true community, true, true um, unity is is actually grace. Mm-hmm. It's the gospel that is corrects both of those. Yeah. And we have a tendency to want to drive in either ditch, the ditch of legalism or antinomianism, and we need to, to drive on the, the gospel um, road, the, the grace-empowered road in between. And that's really hard to do, um, but it is really what makes the church the church. Yeah, and you, you touched on it earlier, Russ, but the the goodness of god the wonder of the gospel <clears throat> part the, the the wonder of what the gospel does in our lives what christ does in our lives is and as i say you touched on this earlier that the grace of god is transformative it makes new and the the gospel the the, the bible talks in images that 
to come to, to come to Christ in faith to be be made new in Christ is to be a, is to be a new creation. Second uh, Corinthians five, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Uh, think of uh, uh, Romans chapter six, uh, that you in, in baptism you have died with Christ, been raised up with Him. You're a, you're you're brand new. It, those are dramatic images of transformation. And at the heart of that transformation is a change in our attitude toward God, that we are no longer rebels and that we no longer resent God's law, but we love God's law because we love God and we love the character of God. And, and so we, we learn to love. Grow, growth in Christian faith is to learn to love what God loves. I think the number one sign of a church that might be um, embracing an antinomianism mindset is, do they have a low view of sin? Um, do they understand the significance of sin or not? And if they have a low view of sin, if they are dismissive of it, if, if they, if it, it doesn't seem like it causes sorrow um, for the people within the congregation. I, I think you 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 have a church that really is is drinking the from the well of antinomianism. Yes. Because when we really see sin for what it truly is is it's it's an affront to God, it's a, an affront to his authority, it's a despising of God and his word. Mm. And that should bring sorrow. Yeah. Um but we don't fix antinomianism by saying, well I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to give you more law now. Yes. Yeah. We 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 fix it by having a, a drinking more deeply from the well of grace. Yeah. We don't lower our view of sin. We just have a greater view where sin abounds, grace superabounds. That's that's really the heart of what Paul was teaching in Romans. Mm-hmm. Not that we're not sinners, but we're sinners that can that continually come back to God's grace in in our lives. Remember that Jesus taught the parable of it's sometimes called the parable of the unforgiving servant that a, a, a servant of a king who owed a vast, vast sum, in, 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 ancient, in ancient terms, it was, such, it was such a huge sum, it was laughable. He owed a billion dollars to the king, and he went into the king and pled for mercy, and the king forgave the debt. And then immediately the unforgiving servant goes out and finds a man who owes him 10 bucks, and he says, you must pay me, um, he's, he's, you, you must pay me, and if you don't pay me, you're going to be thrown in prison until you pay the whole debt. Okay, he's being a legalist because he doesn't uh, because he doesn't understand and appreciate how much he has been forgiven. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, before the king, who represents God in the parable, in a way, before the king, he's an antinomian. Oh, that law doesn't apply to me. And then he goes out and he becomes a legalist. They're twins. I don't know. One of you guys said earlier yeah. in the Sinclair Ferguson book, they're they're evil twins. Well, the same thing is, is drawn out in the parable of the prodigal son, uh, where both the younger brother and the older brother, what they have in common is that they actually don't love the father. They don't want to be near the father. Yes. The, the, the younger brother says, give me all my stuff. And the older brother later says, why haven't you given me all my stuff? I, I yes. want the same things. Yes. There's this wonderful, I think this is, um, part of this is because we don't understand how the law works. Uh, how does the law work for the believer? Like in other words, 
what is its primary use? Um, this is what the larger catechism says in um, question number 97. It says, what special use is there of the law, the moral law, to the regenerate? And this is how they answer. Although they that are regenerate and believe in Christ be delivered from the moral law as a covenant of works so that they are neither justified nor condemned by it, yet it is of special use to show them how much they are bound to Christ for his fulfilling it and enduring the curse thereof in their stead and for their good and thereby to provoke them to more thankfulness. I love that. God, God wants us to see the fullness of the law. Why? Uh, well, here's the first use, to drive us to see how much we are bound to Christ for his fulfilling of it. Right. That is so right. beautiful. Um, and of course, it, it directs us and it shows us what our duty is, but that duty becomes a delight because then we're married to our head, Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to the husband who really loves his wife, um, he loves to serve her. He loves to kiss her and hold her and hug her and, and do things around the house for her because he loves her. He's drawn by love. I mop our kitchen floor pretty much every week. I don't mop the kitchen floor because I love to mop the floor. I mop the floor because I love my wife. Um, and there's a huge difference in how you mop the floor based upon your motivation for it. Yes. I really hope that my wife is not listening right now. <laughs> But I, I think that comes into the church. Why do we do what we do, even in the church? Do we do it because we love Christ, the head of the church? Or do we do the things that we do in the church because we, we feel a sense of duty, obligation? And I, I think this really becomes practical in the life of the church. So often I think the church is unhealthy because people are, are serving the institution instead of serving the, the, the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ, and doing things not out of love for him, but out of duty to the, to the body. Amen. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We hope that this series has been edifying to you. If you'd like to get uh, them in full, just subscribe to our podcast, The Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time. We'll <laughs> be